Well, good morning once again, and welcome to Sailorville Church. I'm glad that you just got a chance to witness a couple of very powerful stories, and you'll get a chance to express your appreciation uh, to those two individuals, Dylan and Stephanie, at the very end of the service. So, and this is really the culmination of our service right now as we open up God's truth, God's word, the Bible. And so if you brought one with you, you can go to Matthew chapter 28. Now, if you didn't, uh, don't worry about it because in time here, we'll put the words up on the screen. I would be amiss, however, in this very service to not mention the very fact that uh, we have one who seems to almost be back from the dead a little bit. And uh, Cheryl Wilson's with us, who uh, was down in Texas, over to chemo. We're back. She's back with her husband, Sean. Great to have you back with us. And uh, speaking of a miss, I said uh, about a week ago when Kent Boyd went into surgery, because his, uh, his heart's only working at like 10% or something like that, uh, that he'd be, because he knows Jesus, when he comes out on the other side, he'll be singing one way or another. He's still with us. He's still on terra firma singing, and there he is back there. Congratulations, Kent. Glad you had a successful surgery. Answer to prayer. But what if they weren't with us? What if Kent hadn't made it through his surgery? What if Cheryl didn't survive her chemotherapy or the days which are to come? What hope is there? Let me tell you something. That's the reason why we're here today. Because we don't live to live to be 150 years old. We live so that we can live again. And Jesus Christ... His death and resurrection is what allows us to do exactly that. Christianity is built on three pillars. It is the incarnation of Christianity. The incarnation, God became flesh. The crucifixion, that is that God himself died on the cross for our sins. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are the pillars by which we stand. These are the pillars by which we believe. These are the pillars by which when you die, you will not die again, but you will live. This is the promise of God from the very words of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the essential pillar of the gospel. It's what makes good news good news. It's so clear The testimony of the resurrection, the evidence, the history of it all is so replete, so powerful, that even Newsweek magazine, Newsweek magazine, came out two years ago and did a whole article on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they basically concluded, well, it must have happened. (laughs) What is that telling you? I'll tell you what it's telling you. It's telling you to believe. That's what it's telling you. What's your favorite What's your favorite part of the, of the Easter story? What's your favorite part of the resurrection of Jesus? That very question was asked by our small group. We have small groups. We call them cell groups around here. Our leader here the other day asked our group, what's your favorite part of the story? And one by one, people started saying, well, in fact that he rose, good answer. <laughs> Somebody else says, I like the fact that the angel sat on the rock when they rolled the tomb away. <laughs> kind of silly. She goes, I just kind of chuckle every time I read that. And when he came around to me, you know what I said? I'll tell you in just a little bit. There are lots of things about this story to love, amen? 
Some of you just love the glory of the story. I mean, it's a glorious story, isn't it? We're just going to look at one account, and I'll allude to several others. Matthew chapter 28, just the first 10 verses. Here's what it says. Now, after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, remember her, and the other Mary went to see the tomb. That is where Jesus had been laying for three days. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and, sure enough, sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciple, disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee, and you will see him there. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb and with fear and with great joy. And ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! Imagine that. And they came and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So you got two commands here. Come and see, go and tell. It's a, it, the glory of the story. I mean, you got to just love this story. There's an earthquake. There's an angel sits on the rock. <laughs> There's other angels. In fact, in one of the accounts, you got the, the women going into the tomb. There's an angel sitting at the feet where Jesus was laying. There's an angel sitting at the head where Jesus was laying. It's almost like an Old Testament imagery of the two uh, uh, air, uh, cherubim that are over the, the, uh, the mercy seat. You may, I don't know what your favorite part of the story is, but just the glory of the story. You got Mary, Magdalene, you got the other Marys, you got, you've got the disciples, you got the, the two men on the road to Emmaus who they're just beside themselves. Oh my goodness, he's gone, he's gone. All of a sudden, Jesus comes up incognito, meets them, takes them through the word of God and displays and shows himself and then disappears in front of them. You've got the disciples who later on that day, cowering in the upper room, Jesus walks right through the door and appears to them. He says, here I am. Touch me. The glory of the story is enough, is it not? And some of you, because you're, you're more heady, you're more cerebral, you like to think through things in detail, your favorite part of the story are the, are the many things that offer proof that he's alive and we should believe. And there are a lot of things. There are many things. In fact, there were, there were many appearances. Do you know that the Bible, God's word, teaches us that there were at least 10 different times, occasions, and people that Jesus appeared to in the flesh after he rose from the dead? There were many witnesses. You can just go through a litany of, of witnesses. And at one time, 1 Corinthians 15, 500 people at one time. One of the detractors, some of the detractors, many of the people who don't want to believe that Jesus rose, because if, if Jesus rose, and that demands that we do something with him. 
And, and some people think, well, they were just, you know, they loved Jesus so much. I mean, they loved him so much. They cried when he was gone. And so, I mean, they just, they just, they just, you know, he said something about rising from the dead. So they just sort of believed it and they sort of hallucinated. 500 people hallucinating at the same time? That doesn't even make sense. 500 witnesses. There are many witnesses. There were many physical revelations of himself that he, I mean, that is, there were many times where he physically showed himself to his disciples. And what did he do? Luke tells us he sat down. He said, hey, grab a hold of me. I'm not, you know, I'm not a ghost. You got something to eat? Give me something to eat. He eats in front of them. So many physical manifestations that he was real. And then there were many days. You need to know that on this glorious day when Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to all the people that he appeared to, that wasn't the only time. He didn't just go and say, see you later. He hung around for a month and a half. For a month and a half. For 40 days, Jesus hung around. For 40 days, he ate with them. He taught them. He hung with them. He let them handle him. John would later write, who our hands have handled. And this is the reason why in the historical, the inspired historical account of how the church took off and grew, Luke writes in Acts chapter 1, That Jesus, chapter 1 and verse 3, after it says, presented himself alive with many uh, proofs. Actually, the Greek word means infallible or uh, irrefutable proofs. Proofs you can't refute that he's alive. So, some of you like that. That's a favorite part of your story. And if you're a woman, you should really like the resurrection. Amen, ladies? You don't even know what I'm going to say yet, do you? Really because of the prominence of women in the resurrection account. That's a huge thing. I mean, if you get a little touch of feminism in you, you'll like this too. The fact of the matter is, of the ten times, the ten appearances that Jesus had when he rose from the dead, the first two were women. That's fascinating. In fact, that's the, that's, there, are, there are at least three fascinating things about that to me. First of all, it's flat out true that in the first century, women were absolutely discarded in terms of their testimony. You didn't listen to a woman. It was chauvinism on steroids. Seriously, it was. Their their, their testimony wasn't listened to in a court of law. Is it any wonder when when they saw, when Mary and the the other women saw Jesus, they run to the disciples, they said, he's alive! And they what? They didn't believe it. They're women, for crying out loud. And so this is God saying... I love everyone equally. Something else was very interesting to me and just a little unknown truth to many. Later on in the epistles, that's when Paul would write to the churches, he said to the Corinthians, he said, in 1 Corinthians 15, you have an apologetic, a sort of a defense for the resurrection. If you want a defense for the resurrection, you don't read the Gospels. Oh, you do. But if you want a real theological defense of Jesus' resurrection, you read 1 Corinthians 15. Why do I tell you that? Because if you read the first eight or nine verses of 1 Corinthians 15, and you'd never read the Gospels, you would think that Paul was actually giving us an order of people who saw the resurrection. He mentions Peter. He mentions some of the other disciples. He finally says, he mentions the 500. And then he said, finally, appeared to me. There's not one woman mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15. 
Because 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead, it was still a very strongly chauvinistic world. And as Paul was writing apologetic, he knew those Corinthians didn't, didn't want to hear that women saw Jesus first. But he did. And finally, there's a third thing I think is very interesting to me is who? When I say the first two were women, the first one was Mary Magdalene. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell us it was Mary Magdalene he appeared to first. Do you know who Mary Magdalene was? The Bible says she had seven demons. You heard this. I mean, I don't know how many demons Dylan had, three or four anyway. The truth of the matter is seven demons means she was completely filled with demons. I don't know about Stephanie. She was totally being led by something other than God, just like some of you. Mary Magdalene, utterly controlled by demons. Seven demons. And Jesus cast those demons out of her. And she loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you follow the account of Mary Magdalene, you see her. You see her with demons. You see her without demons. You see her following Jesus. You see her at the crucifixion. You see her through the crucifixion. You see her at the tomb. She's there. Is it any wonder that Jesus would appear to her first? And if you think about it, you might remember this, some of you. When Jesus appears to her, she doesn't recognize him. In fact, she thinks he's the gardener. He, she can't find the body. She says, you know, where have you put the body? Just tell me. I'll go get it. I'll take it. I'll put it somewhere else. How did Jesus help her to recognize who he was? I'll tell you, in a word, it was her name. He spoke her name. He said, Mary. And with that, she worshipped him. I tell you that because you're more than just a number to Jesus Christ. When I worked for John Deere, I worked for six years for a factory. And my name was 34844. That was my name. 34844. That was my number. They didn't know me by any other means but my number. Completely impersonal. And yet Jesus says, I call my sheep by name. God loves you. And when he calls you, he will call you by your name. And someday, everybody who's in the grave will hear the voice of the Son of Man and come forth. Will he call you by your name? That's a pretty good reason to love this resurrection account, huh? The prominence of women. But would you like to know what mine is? Here's my favorite part of the account. And here it is. The promise from Jesus fulfilled. The promise from Jesus fulfilled. Do you like trivia? Here's another little thing that some of you might not be aware of. If you have studied the Passion accounts, that is, the Passion account is, is when Jesus was arrested through his trial, Pilate, Caiaphas, all these guys, and then scourged, crucified, dying for our sins. If you, if you follow it in Matthew's Gospel, you start reading in chapter 26 all the way to the end. If you start in Luke's Gospel, you start a little bit early. You start in Mark's Gospel, you start at a couple, like chapter 14. If you start it in John's Gospel, you can go all the way back to chapter 13 and read to the end. The fact is, Nearly half of the Gospels deal with the passion account of Jesus. And if you read this, and you read them all, all four Gospels carefully, you'll find all kinds of quotes, prophecies from the Old Testament. You'll hear from Zechariah. You'll hear from Hosea. You'll hear from Jeremiah. 
And you'll hear repeatedly from David, you'll hear from Isaiah. You know, as the lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened out his mouth. You know, the, 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 the dividing of garments. Uh, all of these things were Old Testament prophecies. And as you read through it, one fulfillment, one fulfillment, one fulfillment after another. In fact, you keep reading, and the scripture was fulfilled. And the scripture was fulfilled. And the scripture was fulfilled. All the way up until he was crucified. But if you read the resurrection account, in Matthew chapter 28, we just read that, or Mark chapter 16, or Luke chapter 24, or John chapter 20, are you ready for this? Not one reference to the Old Testament. Not even one. Now, it's sort of alluded to because uh, when Peter and John show up at the tomb, they run in there, John believes, and the scripture says in John 20, for as at this time, they did not know the scriptures taught that he must rise again. But it doesn't tell you what scripture. Jesus takes the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he tells us he goes through the scriptures, but he doesn't tell us specifically what scripture he went to. There is not one Old Testament quote about the resurrection. So on what authority do we believe this? Well, we just went through several of them. The witnesses, the glory of the story itself, the prominence of women and whatnot, but... You want to know what my favorite part of the story is? These words. You might have just run over the top of them. When the angel appeared to the women, he said, He's not here. He's risen. As he said. And Mark's gospel, he says it a little differently. He says, Just as he told you. And then in Luke's gospel, he says, remember how he told you? Here's my point. Jesus' words were God's words. And if you can't believe Jesus, who can you believe? Now, my guess is that some of you don't believe these promises, or you haven't up until now. And you don't really have a favorite part of the Easter story because, well, you're not a Christian. You've never truly placed your faith in Jesus. You've been around Christianity, and if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you're just like Judas. You've been around, you've been among, but you weren't a part of the family of God. That's where Dylan was all of his life. But he didn't become a Christian until a month ago. And that's the way some of you are right now. There's a promise from Jesus you need to believe. Earlier in his life, before the Passion Week, his, one of his best friends died. And Jesus purposely showed up late for the funeral. Jesus never showed up at a funeral that he didn't break up, by the way. And so he shows up to this funeral, Lazarus's. He's been dead for four days. His body is already starting to corrupt. His sisters are crying to Jesus saying, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died because Jesus was really good at raising up sick people. And then Jesus levied this promise upon his two sisters. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Actually, that was Jesus asking the question. In John eleven twenty six. 26, do you believe this? 
That's a promise. That's a promise that he's asking you. Do you believe this? A number of years ago, I, uh, I was a pallbearer at my grandmother's funeral. And I didn't want to be late for the funeral, so I got there early. I got in there, nobody was around. So I thought I'd kill some time. Poor choice of words here. And I just started walking around the funeral parlor. I walked down into the basement, and lo and behold, I discovered, I don't know, a casket showroom. I didn't know even they even had such things in, in these places. A casket showroom. Caskets all over the place. I'm, si- I'm sitting there walking around, look like, like cars. I'm looking at these caskets, you know. And I noticed that there, one was like $2,000, another one was $10,000. I was just sitting there staring, and all of a sudden I felt the presence of somebody in the room, which is a very eerie thing to, to sense when you're in a, a funeral parlor. And uh, I looked around, and it was the, it, sure enough, it was the funeral director. And he said, uh, can I help you? And I was, I, I was at a loss. What was I supposed to say? <laughs> no, just browsing. <laughs> So I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm bumbling for words. And, and uh, he, he, what, what, I said, well, you know, I, I did notice, I mean, the caskets, are, there's all kinds of prices. There's one for 2000 over here, and you got another for ten, and everything in between. He says, well, you obviously don't know caskets. He had me on that one. And then he began to describe these caskets, you know, these seals. You should notice these seals. These, some of these caskets are very, very well. And some of these caskets are not as good. The seals aren't quite as good. And he just started to describe this all the way to the metal and, and, and then the vault that they would go into. And, and he's really, he's getting all enemies all excited about his caskets. And he said, in fact, I got to tell you something happened. Uh, Pat, I got to tell you something happened just a couple weeks ago. We disinterred a body. Ooh, okay. Yeah, you see, the family moved out to California. Uh, they were moving out, and they wanted to move the entire family plot, cemetery plot, out to California. So they had a five-year-old son that had died 17 years earlier. And so we disinterned, that is, we brought the casket up, and he said, you know what, we, we looked inside. He said, you know, we looked inside, and we looked at that little guy, and with a couple of minor adjustments... We could, have, we could have portrayed him that day. And he was excited. He was jacked. He'd done a great job 17 years earlier. I have to admit, I was impressed as well. But my next thought was, he could preserve him. But he couldn't give him life. Only Jesus can give us life. It doesn't matter how good that seal is. Your destiny is sealed without Jesus Christ. And with him, with the resurrected Jesus, your destiny is also sealed. Beyond that casket, because I'm telling you, you're going to be laying in one of these, just like I am, one of these days. And the only question will be, where will you be beyond the seal? Where will your destiny be sealed? Jesus gave you a promise that he himself is the resurrection and the life. And if you will believe in him,
Though you will die, yet you shall live. And so I ask you this morning, on this Easter resurrection morning, as you head toward that, where will you go beyond that? Do you want your sins to be forgiven? Jesus' resurrection is the affirmation that he did take your sins to himself on that cross. His resurrection says, you can believe in me. I will take your sins away. I'll make you my child. I'll call you by name. Will you believe in him today? Express your sorrow over your sin. Believe that he died for your sin on that cross. And that he rose again gloriously from the dead. And you will become a child of God. Will you pray with me? Right now, as we pray, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to do anything like that. In a a few moments, I'm just going to ask you to fill out that piece of paper. If God has touched your heart uh, that was in your bulletin, And tell us if you want us to talk to you afterwards about this. But right now in your heart, if this all makes sense to you, if this makes sense to you, if you understand your lostness, if you understand that you are a sinner and you are without God, if you understand that Jesus' death and resurrection will deliver you from the grave and hell, if you place your faith in him, then do so right now from your heart. Right now from your heart, tell God you're sorry for your sin. Right now from your heart, tell God you believe. You believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. If you're one of these individuals who have trusted your good works, you've trusted your church, you've trusted something you've done, some religious ceremony stop believing that it's Jesus alone that can save you and just acknowledge that right now that he alone can take your sins away and be your savior and ask him to come into your life if you're a Christian know that this casket is your is not your destiny it's just a stopping point Lord we love you And we thank you for the story, the glory of the story of Easter. Make it glorious to those who are without Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.